0: So <sweep> This is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I am joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pit. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good, man. I'm hanging in there. It's, it's a little weird. We're, uh, we're doing this on a Tuesday night, which is not our, our regular thing. I feel like we usually go a little bit more towards Thursday because, you know, we can have a, a drink or two and not worry about having to deal with the after effects for too long, you know, on a Thursday night. Better to to have a little bit of a headache on a Friday morning than a Wednesday morning. But we're we're pivoting a little bit this week. Pivot, pivot. Exactly. <laughs> Just like Ross. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. So we so we um, we we were uh, scheduled to do this this episode last week, and kind of life got in the way, and, and it is what it is. So we uh, we wanted to go ahead and, and get it back on the on the docket here as, as quickly as we can. Never fear, I am uh, I'm going to uh, drink the same way I always do. <laughs> even though it's even though it's a even though it's a, a uh you know earlier in the week it's a monday night
1: well i can't let you do um, it by yourself so I, I will support you in your efforts awesome cheers
0: cheers yeah so what's um before we get going everything everything good in the, in the pip household these days
1: yeah it's pretty good everything is going well kind of wrapping up the summertime girls are uh, in school and and that's always fun always a challenge and Bunch of birthdays that we were celebrating this month in August. So, yeah, I mean, things are good. Everything is uh, pretty positive. Everyone's happy and healthy, which is, you know, a relief considering, you know, a lot of what we're hearing these days going out in the world. So,
0: you know what, it's, it it is, it's nuts. I I don't really even like to look at at the news these days. I mean, between, between COVID and Afghanistan and this, that, I mean, it's just, it's shitty. I just, it's, it's really kind of, it really kind of bums me out. I mean, every day it gets worse.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's the way everything is postured these days, it's just so easy for everyone to go at each other's throats. And it just doesn't seem like people respect the uh, the happy medium anymore. So it's it's kind of tough to be a part of the news culture these days, whether you're, you know, someone who believes in vaccinations or doesn't or believes in conservatism or liberalism or you know whatever uh, it, it's just it's there's a lot of i'm right you're wrong out there and it's definitely tough to to be a part of that and not feel disenchanted with the state of things at least yep. it is for me i don't know how you feel but
0: it, it no yeah, I, yeah sometimes no i i agree wholeheartedly we we, we started having a quote-unquote political discussion at dinner tonight and it was and even with amongst the you know my the five of us right around the dinner table and again my my kids are i've got you know a 15 year old a 13 year old and a seven year old and my wife and i you know so we didn't get in too deep but we were talking about afghanistan and, and this that and the other thing and he, and even amongst you know my my people right it's it, it's like it, it's just it's tough it, it's it's difficult to explain some of these things to your kids it's difficult to explain you know, why we as a nation do some of the things we do, especially when I either don't know or don't agree with or what have you. Yeah, it's just, it makes me very happy that, that we have this podcast to kind of fall back on uh, where we just kind of kind of chat and, and escape for a while and, and not have to worry about all the bullshit.
1: It's definitely the one safe place. I think we can we can both agree that we can hang out here and not have to worry about anything other than arguing about our own. Top five favorite, whatever, for the
0: week, for sure. Right. And uh, and tonight, it uh, well, you know what? I will let you introduce it. It was, it was your topic this evening, so I'll, I will let you introduce it.
1: Yeah, so tonight's actually a little bit of a tribute to a good friend of mine. I, I have a ritual with a couple of high school buddies of mine that I partake in every year, lovingly dubbed Bro Day, where uh, a couple of us just get together and we hang out in, in my buddy Ryan's pool. My friend, we'll call him DK, is uh, is somebody who I've known for the better part of uh, God, thirty five years ish. At this point, he's probably one of my longest old time friends. And DK is a uh, he's a police officer in Northern Indiana, from the hometown that I grew up in. And he, you know, I've I've known him for a very long time, and I, I love a lot of things about the guy. But one of the things that really struck me. When I got to spend some time with him last week, is he is a he's a big fan of our podcast, and it was just really cool and very endearing. And he was telling all kinds of people that uh, they should listen to our podcast, and had all kinds of ideas and, and recommendations for other stuff to talk about. So, in honor of my my good, close, old time friend DK, because he is a police officer. Uh, I, I recommend it and suggested to you that tonight we do our top five favorite cop movies of all time.
0: Outstanding. You, you know, it's it's funny. We we actually didn't talk about this, but I but I saw the I saw the pictures of Bro Day, and the thought actually crossed my mind. The conversation didn't come up, or maybe that that might have been the reason for the uh, for the for the topic, which is awesome. I'm I'm super pumped that it is, and DK, we love you, brother, and uh, I hope you I hope we do you proud during this during this conversation.
1: We'll certainly try. I don't know if he'll agree with these, although I'm sure I'll hear about it because he's he's been giving me some shit about the power balance.
0: Oh, has he really? Yeah. <laughs> he
1: said he didn't like Eagles Fly and I almost had to break up with him right there on the spot. But wow.
0: didn't, but he's not didn't a fan, like as,
1: fan. So didn't
0: didn't like it as a song or didn't like it as a <laughs> choice on your list. Uh, I don't think he liked it as a
1: song. If I if I understood correctly, only because I, I think it was just. He's not a huge necessarily fan of, of Sammy Hagar or Van Halen or that era, and I and I have to admit that I'm, I'm are obviously partial to a lot of that music, so that's probably why I chose it. That probably not a lot of people are familiar with or going to be fans of that song, but but he does give me a lot of feedback on especially the power ballads because he's a big '80s music fan, so we For get sure. a lot of uh, good conversation out of that. But yeah, so All that's right. where we're going
0: tonight. All right. Well, so uh, and I guess one question that, that I had for you and just kind of from a groundwork standpoint, I think I asked, you know, does it have to just be cops or police or can it also be like other law enforcement? And, and the answer that you gave me was it's just police. It's just it's just cop. So that would eliminate things like FBI and Secret Service and, and those kind right. of things, which I did, which I did have a couple of really good movies that would have been in that FBI Secret Service category actually would have probably been above the, the movies on my list but again yeah. that's, that's part of the reason I asked
1: I was excited to put point break on here until I realized he was an
0: FBI <laughs> agent
1: and I couldn't do it so yes. um, I, I'm doing my best to make sure that these are police quote-unquote movies and I, I believe they are at least feature a prominent character who is a cop
0: okay point break actually was was one of my one, one of my non-cop movies so yeah, uh, there, there would have been an over. So, so do we want do we want to um, do we want to take a guess at how many or if we would have overlaps on this particular list?
1: I think we will, but I'm I'm thinking it's only going to be one. Uh, that's okay. my prediction. My prediction is one. Now, clearly, I'm not very good at this game because I tried to speculate. I actually picked the over uh, on one and a half matches on the last uh, the last podcast which was the uh, six through 10 power balance. And I was yep. way off on that one. We didn't come anywhere near close to doing that, but okay. that's how the list goes. But I think we may have one.
0: Okay. I, you know what? I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Depending on kind of how, how this goes, I could see one. I could potentially see as many as four. I don't think it'll be that many. Whoa. I really don't. But like, it wouldn't shock me. Put it that way. How about like,
1: like I said, I'm bad at this game. I'm not, yeah. I'm not much of a gambler. So I, I you could be very much right. There's a lot of cop movies out there, certainly. But when you start to talk about the good ones, like the really right. good ones, the ones yes. that we know and love, you're probably yeah. right. We'll have more than more than a couple, I would imagine.
0: Do you uh, Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll uh, I'll kick it off since I picked the list tonight. So we'll start with our number five. And my number five is actually my only comedy in the top five list. Now, there's really only one of two comedies that you go to when you go to cop movies. And you're probably going to be disappointed with the one that I went with because I did not go with Police Academy in this. I went with Super Troopers. So that was uh, such a fun... Fantastic movie. It was uh, put out in 2001. Jay, I'm going to try to pronounce his name right. Chen Drew Saker, I believe, uh, is the uh, the one who directed it. He was the star of the movie, too. He was Ramathorn, and it featured the Broken Lizard comedy group which was just a great combination of of actors and writers that were in this very low budget movie. It only cost about $3 million to make it. It pulled in $23 million in the box office. So as you can imagine, that, that's a pretty good take. Uh, the, you know, this came out in, in the early 2000s at a time when comedies, in my opinion, were, were just largely missing the mark. I don't know if it was just sort of my growing up and sort of the culture of comedies were sort of not really jiving, but I mean, this was the year of movies like Not Another Teen Movie and Joe Dirt and Freddie Got Fingered, and and just a bunch of crap. There were some good ones, but for the most part, you know, they they weren't really great movies. But this one really hit the mark for me in a way that I I would compare to Mallrats did only a handful of years before. Features the, you know, the misadventures of the Spurberry police as they try to uncover a local smuggling ring. You know, it's interesting because the only actor in this movie of any significance was a guy named Brian Cox, who most people might not know by name, but he was in the x-men movies he's on this uh, hbo show oh gosh i'm gonna forget the name of it he, you know he's he's been in a lot of stuff you probably recognize if you saw him and of course there's a there's some cameos in there one by comedian jim gaffigan and of course linda carter better known for tv's wonder woman you know the movie has <laughs> it, it just it's such a great chemistry between all of the characters in this movie and it's so funny the first couple minutes of that movie will just to have you crying in tears and it's hilarious it's got one of the most lopsided rotten tomato scores i've ever seen in my life it's got 35% approval by the uh, by the site with a 90% audience score so it's kind of crazy you know the story's not overly compelling but the comedic writing and the chemistry be- you know between the cast was certainly well worth the ride Featuring probably more quotable lines than any other comedy I had seen since that movie came out in the last 20 years. I can't think of a movie that has more good one-liners than that one. So that's, my, that's how I'm kicking this off. My number five is Super Traverse.
0: What I will add about Brian, about Brian Cox, he was actually in one of the movies that I would have put on this list if it was law enforcement. He was in Manhunter. Which was ended up being remade as Red Dragon with Hannibal Lecter. Correct. He was, yes. was actually, yeah, he 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 was in that movie. You're going to be really bummed when I tell you this. I've never seen Super Troopers. I've never oh, seen it. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. I, Dude. I, I've probably seen I've probably seen bits and pieces of it, but I've but I've never seen it.
1: So that's, that's... I, so. Crazy. Based, S- succession, based, based by the way, the- is the name of the HBO show that Brian Cox is on. That's that's really okay. good right now. And he shares my birthday, which I just realized. Is that's like he really
0: making, that's but, cool. Yeah, he, um, he actually he actually played Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter, which was kind of kind of neat. Gosh, I so, forgot it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a good movie though.
0: So yeah, so I will uh, I will absolutely add that add that to my list uh, based based on your recommendation.
1: I mean, I'm and not mad. I'm, <laughs> I'm just a little embarrassed for you, really, because <laughs> it's such a good movie. It's a, it's a great cult movie. And I shouldn't set it up too much, but you should have a few drinks and then sit down and watch it. And uh, I I think you'll like it, but you'll, you'll have to tell me.
0: Okay, cool. Well, uh, let's see. So my number five, I, I don't know that coming off of a comedy, I'm not sure that there could be a more stark contrast to my number five. It is a 1987 film directed by Paul Verhoeven It is the apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic. I get not really, but it is just the Detroit is in the shithole world that is that is known as RoboCop. RoboCop is is, at least a couple scenes is almost kind of borderline horror film. The first scene in that that movie where Peter Weller, who becomes RoboCop, um, essentially gets shot all the hell by this gang in Detroit. And he is essentially kind of rebuilt as the, you know, the bionic cop. And I know you and I have had a lot of fun with this movie over the years. And, you know, and there are certain kind of sayings and certain quotes that we, we will text to each other. Go rebel! But, <laughs> but, uh, but this is, I, I just, this is an immensely rewatchable film for me. It is dark. It is gritty. It's ultra violent as all Paul Verhoeven films are. But it's, but it's one that I come back to often and I, I always enjoy it. Even though it it is kind of ultra violent and and really, yeah, dystopian is a good is a good way to, to talk about it. I, I, I just love it. It made, you know, it had a really tiny budget, only 13.7, $13. $13.7 million, made a box up of office of $53.4 which is, I think, might be the lowest on my list. It is. But I think, I think it's probably fair to say that this is a, another kind of cult movie. Um, had a couple of sequels that were really, really terrible, but this original one I thought was great.
1: Did you ever see the second one or did you see all the sequels?
0: I saw the second one. The third one, I think, was the third one, that, the guy with the was like the brain in the, it was just like the guy's brain. I think that was the only thing that was left that was in the robot. And then I did not see the reboot. There was a reboot a couple, what, four or five years ago. Mm. I never saw. I heard it was terrible and I never saw it. Yeah, I did not see, I, I saw the second one. I actually liked the second one. I thought that was
1: good. That's, well, my memory of it is that I thought that it was good, but I can honestly say it's been decades since I've rewatched it or since I have seen it. That was the only one that Peter Weller actually returned for, the okay. uh, the main character, or excuse me, the main actor from the first movie. And then he he was not around for three or there was a series after that. I mean, they've done a lot of things with RoboCop. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that it came out in you know, the late 80s, and it was a rated R movie. It was originally rated X. I, I talked about this in a previous podcast. And I remember it being everywhere. Like, I was a kid in 1987. I was 11 years old. But I remember there were Robocop lunchboxes and video games and action Toys.
0: Figures, uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff.
1: Which yeah. is a really fascinating concept, considering this was a rated R movie at best and it was no way appropriate for anybody our age at this time and they marketed a lot of the merchandise to children or to young kids and to this day it still has a really I don't know if I want to call it a cult following because I don't know if I think it's a cult movie but it, it, it's I mean it's obviously a really good movie that has had a lot of legs because it spawned that reboot and it still gets a lot of credit which it very richly deserves from a lot of what it did Paul Verhoeven's stamp of his footprints or, or I should say his fingerprints are all over this movie. Like if you've seen any Paul Verhoeven movie, it's sort of like, I, I sort of relate it to listening to a Jimmy Page guitar solo. Like if I've never heard, I can pick, I can hear Jimmy Page play guitar. Like I can pick him out of the lineup because of the style of how he plays His Les Paul. Verhoeven's a very similar way in that I might not know that he directed that movie, but if I start watching it, I'm going to pick up on it because it just has a very specific kind of style to the way he he tells his stories. And it's really interesting, especially this movie, for sure.
0: Yeah, he had a bunch of films before Robocop, but, th- but this is the one, he went on about a 10-year run or so. And and you're right, like every film in that 10-year run really kind of looks and feels the same it's like robocop total recall basic instinct showgirls starship trooper hollow like they're they're all very they've got that dark gritty kind of feel to them and you're right like you you turn it on and you know it's a verhoeven film yeah all right what do you got for number four
1: so my number four is a movie that i don't watch often but it's a fantastic movie I, i saw it in the theaters when it came out and i really liked it then and it's a movie that when it is on TV, I stop and I always finish it just because I, I can't help but sit there and watch it. Came out in 1997. The director was Curtis Hanson. This is L.A. Confidential starring Guy Pierce, Russell Crowe, Kevin Spacey, Kim Basinger and Jamie Cromwell. You know, I was doing some research on this and Wikipedia described it, I think, best as sort of a neo-noir crime film about a group of LAPD officers in the early 50s Hollywood sleeves, right? So I really have found that I, I really enjoy movies about Hollywood, about things that take place in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the most recent Quentin Tarantino film was really, really good. It just has this sort of really unique luster to it when you tell a story about something that happens in Hollywood. You know, it very much looks like a film that could have been shot in the 1950s. It, it, the cinematography in this movie really stands out. It's, uh, it really sets the tone for a movie that's clearly set, you know, 50 years before it actually was shot, but it looks like it comes right out of that era in a, in a really beautiful way. Uh, it's an adapted story from, which is brilliant because the book that the material came from actually spans an eight year time frame, And when you think about that, that's insane, right? Like Stephen King books are, are very long and none of them translate when well, I shouldn't say none of them, very few of them actually translate well into movies in my opinion. And this book took place over a very long period of time and they somehow managed to make a very cohesive story out of it. In my opinion, the movie didn't necessarily focus on a single character, but more a trio all with their own hangups and issues. There's there's not really a clear protagonist in this movie because everybody is very, very much flawed. This is kind of the coming out movie for Guy Pearce and for Russell Crowe. And, of course, featuring Kevin Spacey, who was on fire at this time after, you know, really stellar performances in Glen, Gary, Glenn Ross, Swimming with the Sharks and the usual suspects, not to mention Seven and a Time to Kill. So, like, he was on fire back then. And, of course, uh, Kim Basinger would do a fantastic job in this movie and would get a very well-deserved Oscar and a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. And the performances and the music and the story and everything, just the whole uh, package of this movie. I thought was really great. It's really underrated. It's one of those movies that if you walk by it at Walmart, you can probably buy it for 49, $4.99 out of the Blu-ray bin. And it's a shame because it, it really deserves a lot more credit than that. But I thought LA Confidential was a, a really, really entertaining movie.
0: It's a wonderful film. The fact that it's got that much star power, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, James Cromwell is amazing in it. Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito has a really good scene in it a couple scenes love this film and i like you when i run across it i will always finish it doesn't matter where it is we're just really really well done and i'm not really typically a big fan of what i would call period pieces but this one this one i really really enjoy um and it and and because it's a period piece it holds up really well like it doesn't it doesn't age it doesn't age poorly it holds up really well
1: yeah agreed a good period piece should should age very well because of how yeah. well it's made, and this is one of those.
0: All right, so my number four is a is a film that we have talked about, I believe, on some other podcasts. Actually, I know we have. I tried to steer clear of things that we've talked about previously, but but this one I just I couldn't. In in my mind, this is kind of one of, one of the quintessential cop movies. It also happens to be one of the best Christmas movies of all time. It is uh, 1988's Die Hard. It is. I know that. I'm just needling you. I know you don't. I'm shaking my head. It's
1: this, this a big <laughs> SMH over here. I can't can't get past the Christmas thing. But okay, I'll let you have yeah. your, your podium. So
0: so again, you know, directed by John McTiernan, starring none other than Bruce Willis in what I think is probably his his role. Right. That's 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 the one that everybody thinks about when mm-hmm. they think Bruce Willis. Alan Rickman as one of the best bad guys of all time and Hans Gruber call it a $35 million budget, $150 million or so in box office receipts, you know, tells the story of the Nakatomi Plaza that was taken over by essential bank robbers is essentially what they're doing. I, I won't go into a, a big plot because I'm sure that everybody that's listened to this podcast knows Die Hard. It, it's what it, it is. It's a quintessential action movie and it just happens to revolve around one of the baddest cops on the planet John McCain. and and he's he's the everyman, which is why especially in this film. Some of the subsequent films, the sequels kind of kind of got a little bit crazy, but this one he's still an everyman. he still gets hurt, he still bleeds and he and he's still with maybe one exception he's really not doing things that you can't believe he can actually do and just yeah, th- this one I, I watch it regularly not just around Christmas time, but I watch it regularly. I'm a huge fan.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no argument with anything but the Christmas part of it. It's certainly a fantastic movie. This certainly helped to usher in a whole new generation of action stars and action movies that didn't have to be bodybuilders. I think we talked about that the last time we talked about Die Hard. And it's great from a performance standpoint. Bruce Willis does a great job. Alan Rickman really stood out here and it became a huge star after this. He did a lot of stuff that that was fantastic. I mean, he, everything he did was great. And yeah, I I don't know what else to add to what you've already said and what we've already talked about. I mean, Die Hard is just an absolutely fantastic movie. The second one was actually a really worthy follow-up in my opinion. Oh, I
0: loved the second one. I think the
1: second one arguably might be, one that I tried to revisit more than the first one, maybe because I just watched the first one all the time when I was younger, but the second one was really, really good. The third one, I, I think a lot of people liked it. I don't think I loved it as much, but it was that one became almost more of a Lethal Weapon style buddy comedy with Samuel yeah. L. Jackson. And uh, they, you know, they tried this sort of wedge in, uh, tie into the first movie with Jeremy Irons, his character being Hans' brother and all of that, but it was just kind of sloppily done. It didn't make a lot of sense. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen anything past the third movie, but those first three are a really solid series. And, uh, you know, when I think of Die Hard, I think of it being sort of the precursor to 24, which is a show that I really enjoyed, you know, Kiefer Sutherland as this counter-terrorist agent who was, you know, nothing fancy. He wasn't big, he wasn't huge. He didn't know Kung Fu or anything like that, couldn't fly helicopters, but he (laughs) continued to find himself in all of these situations that were very extreme. And he Every day. Yeah, right. (laughs) He had these special skills that got him out of that. And I think that that was certainly derivative of of what Bruce Willis did in Die Hard. So yeah, fantastic choice.
0: Thank you. All right. uh, Number three, sir.
1: Number three for me is one that I knew that I wanted to put on this list, but I couldn't remember exactly why. And so I actually rewatched it for the first time in a very long time over the weekend. And I was really glad that I did because I do think it belongs on my list. This is one I'm gonna suspect doesn't appear on your list. And it's actually going to be the oldest one on my list. It's older than me. It's from 1973 uh, directed by Sidney Lumet. This is Serpico featuring uh, one of the greatest Al Pacino performances in the history. Uh, This is based off of the true story, I'll use air quotes, of Frank Serpico, who was a New York cop who basically refused to go on the take amongst a a myriad of very corrupt officers in New York. He finds himself in one difficult situation after another. He keeps getting transferred from department to department, and everywhere he goes, he he uncovers more dirty cops. You know, the movie itself, I mean, it's it's a little long. I think it could have benefited from some additional editing and like any biopic, this one has, I'm sure, plenty of content that was either fabricated you know, for the purposes of dramatic effect or left out for cleaner storytelling. So you have to kind of take any story like this with a grain of salt. But I think the real thing to absorb from this film is Al Pacino's nearly flawless performance. He would earn the Golden Globe for this, but would lose the best Oscar to Jack Lemon that year. And the other commiserates in his his category included Marlon Brando, Jack Nicholson, and Robert Redford. So wow. obviously he was in really good company that year, and and he wouldn't win Best Actor uh, from an Oscar perspective until 1993, Son of a Woman, which is a crying shame when you think about the movies that he did leading up to that. And and that movie was clearly, I think, sort of a mea culpa from the Academy because, you know, he's great in Son of a Woman, but I mean, to not give him the nod for Godfather or uh, some of the or Serpico or for some of his other roles, even Carlito's way. I think he was brilliant in that, but this movie is really good. And and there are some really intense scenes. I mean, I think we all know that Al Pacino plays intensity better than almost any actor. And there are some scenes in this movie where I, I felt almost physically uncomfortable because of the way that he brings you into that story. And it was, it was so good. And uh, but yeah, I just I really liked it Serpico
0: 1973. Yeah, that, that that's a film God, it, I can't tell you the last time I watched that movie. I remember enjoying it really well. I, I don't know that I could give you a plot summary off the top of my head at the, right now. Um, but that might be that might be one of those that like I, I bet my middle son would and I, I remember it being pretty violent, but I my middle son, I think would enjoy that one. he's he's big into mysteries and 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 the kind of not that he doesn't like action but he likes the kind of the maneuvering right that i that I, if i remember correctly there's quite a bit of that in that film right go you know going kind of interdepartment and and a lot of politics and and that kind of thing yep. I, I think he might enjoy that one
1: it's actually so. not a violent movie at all there's, okay. there's i mean the movie opens with serpico getting taken to the hospital because he got shot in the face so there's a little bit of blood in the beginning but for the most part it's it's really more of a drama it's hardly even an action movie to be honest there are a couple action scenes but it's it's pretty tame in terms of violence but obviously there's strong language and you know some pretty serious situations
0: but yeah for the most part i think it's it's pretty tame but yeah awesome that's my choice that's my number three what about yours Awesome. My number three is a film that we've already talked about this evening. So this is one of uh, this is maybe the first of a couple overlaps. Uh, it's L.A. Confidential. I chatted about it earlier. I I never turn it off. I think in my mind, you had mentioned there's not really a, a main protagonist. If I had to pick one, I would probably say it's Guy Pierce, only because he's the, quote, Good guy, you're right. He is a flawed character. I suppose it would be a toss-up between him and and Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, obviously, in here is is really really flawed. The, the character of his portrayal of Bud White, I think, is he, he the best way I could describe him? And I think maybe you can you'd appreciate this reference is he's kind of the the stone cold Steve Austin of police work, right? He's he's not white, he's not black, he's kind of like that gray character, right? He's doing bad things for the right cause, if, if that makes sense. I don't know that you would call him a corrupt cop or he's certainly not as corrupt as some of the other cops in this particular movie. You know, I, I remember very vividly, we were watching this film in Teeter, uh, which was the dorm that we, that we lived on. We were, and I, I can't remember if you were there or not. I know Steve, our buddy Steve was there. And there's, there's a character in this film called Rolo Tomasi and you know and, and and that that particular name came up multiple times over the you know the the, the subsequent years in college uh, but the character of Rollo Tomasi I thought was is is one that I will every once in a while still to this day I will bring up the name of Rollo Tomasi, and I, I won't go into kind of who that is or what that means. But um, if you've seen the film, you probably recognize that name. So yeah, just again, huge, huge fan. I've actually never gone back and read the book. I, I would It's been on my list for years, but uh, one, one of these days, I'll, I'll go back and read it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. It's certainly a great choice. I think that Guy Pierce's character, I think you're right that he is meant to be the primary protagonist, but he's certainly not you know the clean and squeaky cop that you you may expect from that movie right like he he obviously uh falters a bit when he sleeps with kim basinger's character when bud white is clearly in love with her and it's a great performance everybody does really well in that movie and it's it's hard to say anything bad about it yeah It's, it's a great play all
0: right we're flying here sir what uh what do you have for number two
1: yeah so number two Just like your number three was a movie that we've already talked about, and it's going to be a pretty uh, uneventful choice in my list because I feel like it fell somewhere right around here the last time we did our uh, top five action movies, but it is also 1987's RoboCop. This movie for me, I just can't get enough of. I think this movie is much deeper than anybody gets a credit for, and that's why it's on here. I, I certainly won't burden anybody listening with a plot summary. We've talked about this many times, but the story for this movie is so good. It's so tight. And, you know, as we mentioned, Verhoeven gives this film his trademark sleaze, which can be seen in Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Starship Troopers, etc. I think the thing that really makes this amazing is that it's got a lot of really good satirical undertones that help make what should be a gory grindhouse flick, a really fun action picture in the eighties, right? So the quality of what's going on here is not really, you know, it's not really a a list movie material. It's not high budget stuff. They had a lot of trouble getting directors who are interested in a movie called RoboCop. I mean, think about it. Right. Is there a yeah. dumber name for a movie than RoboCop? <laughs> but it's also sort of brilliant in its own respect because it tells you in one in one word, that's not even actually really a word, exactly what this movie is about. It's about a cop who's a robot. Yeah. And you know, the last time that we were talking about this movie, I remember I, I actually went back and I listened to my myself because I'm that vain, And one of the things that I said was, this movie had a lot of heart, but I don't know why, and I had to do some reflection on this, and I think I figured it out. You know Peter Weller's character of Alex Murphy was really an unwilling participant in his own hero's journey which I think was kind of powerful in a very different way to tell it. You know, he had to get brutally murdered in order to get caged into this suit of armor and, you know, basically share his soul with some futuristic artificial intelligence. And, you know, I mean, that's a lot darker than, you know, getting a spider bite. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's pretty, pretty deep in that sense. And, and at first it seems cool because he comes out and he kicks a lot of ass and shoots guys in the crotch with the, the coolest gun that has ever been on film, <laughs> bar none. But eventually, you know, he starts having these flashbacks as he starts realizing that, you know, he was a human being. He's got memories. He had a life before this. And it's, it's really kind of tragic, to be honest, when you think about it. I think there's a, a bit of a tragedy in here and because he didn't ask to be RoboCop. He never wanted to be RoboCop. And there was an interesting line that was dropped in the movie by Miguel Ferrer in that he he said something and I'm going to paraphrase along the lines of we had some people transferred in order to support our new program or something along those lines. So basically, this was all planned, like they were sending cops to the worst part of Detroit so that somebody would get hurt or they would get murdered so that they could test out this whole Robocop initiative. And it's just it's insanely deep for an 80s action movie, which on the surface just kind of feels like, you know, a bunch of guns and and swear words and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's so much more than that. And I just can't get enough of it. And I think it it's really interesting how in a lot of ways it just predicted a a really dangerous future accurately that we're all kind of starting to ease our way into. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's a great story. I, I love RoboCop.
0: Yeah, You know, it's funny, again, you know, I I talked about it, so I won't, I won't ramble any further, but, and you may laugh, but the way you described Murphy's unwilling hero's journey and being murdered and then being encapsulated and whatever, he basically is Darth Vader, right? I mean, he, he is, he is murdered, quote unquote, and then he is encapsulated in an armor and he has memories and again I, it's a thin comparison but the, but the way you described it really made me think of Vader I and mean, obviously you know the Anakin Skywalker is, is a much kind of bigger longer hero's journey i i still cannot to this day there's two scenes in this movie that are amazing and are i think are all practical facts. Uh, especially for a 1987 movie the original the, the opening scene where he gets murdered where i mean they're just the, the gang is just opening fire for, you know on him from what seems like 8 feet away and then the scene, the the kind of toxic Avenger ooze scene mm-hmm. where th- that guy gets this, I don't know what it is, this goo all over him and he literally just kind of melts and then he gets run over with a car and he's just liquefied. That, that scene to this day stands up really well as a really, really good practical effect.
1: Yeah. It's super gory and it's super dark, but Verhoeven's way of adding comedy to it sort of balances it in a really bizarre way that doesn't make it feel over the top or creepy. It's just a really delicate way of delivering that content. And it's it's so good. All right. Well, so that was my number two. I'm curious to know, because I feel like we're heading towards a very similar conclusion. I could be wrong on this, but I'm I feel like we're getting there. But before we get there, let's go with your number two. What do you got?
0: All right, my number two is a movie that has been mentioned, but we have not talked about. Is it the highest grossing film on my list? Hang on, let me take a look. Made $327 million at the box office off a budget of only $33 million, which is, even by today's standards, is a huge win. It is a 1995 film directed by David Fincher. It is seven. I remember watching this film for the first time and I was really, really disturbed by this film. If you're not familiar with it, you know, it's another one of these kind of neo-noir films. It stars Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, and they are going after this serial killer who is killing people via the seven deadly sins. And just kind of one is worse than the next is worse than the next. I I won't go into, I mean, it's a, it's a movie that's 30 some years old. I won't bother with spoilers and spoiler alerts, but it, it just, it grows and grows and grows until the, the final, the final scene is it just kind of grips and grabs onto you. And when it gets to the conclusion, it really is almost a perfect film in my book the villain you really don't know who he is until the back third back quarter of the film every single murder scene every single death scene is done exquisitely well in my opinion not a ton of action here by any stretch it is a really cerebral film you could you might be able to say it's a horror film or it's certainly in that super dark genre uh yeah i'm and and i I was leery to put this on my film as a quote favorite because favorite connotates that I really enjoy watching these films. I can't say that I enjoy watching this film, but it's, but it's one of those that I think is really, really well-made and in a weird sort of way, it is one of my favorites. I just, I, I can't say enough about this film.
1: It's interesting because I think this movie has very very little in parallel with Jaws which is my favorite movie of all time but one of the one of the characteristics that is really important about a movie that I think that this one does share with Jaws is that the relationships are kind of what make this movie tick you know like the subject matter is certainly dark and it's disturbing and it's a murder mystery and it's really interesting in that sense but if it weren't for the chemistry between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in this movie, I don't think it would work the way that it does. And it's really brilliant in that sense. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow does a great job. And Kevin Spacey, again, we we mentioned him earlier, he does a very good job too. But this movie is fantastic. And I think the thing that, you know, on top of the, the relationship, you know, the thing that it all sort of funnels up to in my opinion is david fincher i think david fincher is a fantastic director he's an amazing amazing visual director you can kind of visually see his movies differently than you can others in terms of like the color palettes and the things that he uses like it's very very specific whether it's zodiac or whether it's even alien three <laughs> some people forget mm-hmm. that he even did that movie but i liked alien three i might be one of the very few but i thought it was a great movie it's a it's a really fun watch And Fincher just crushed it. And Seven is, yeah, like you said, that came out in 95 when we were in college. I I don't remember seeing it, but I do remember being very disturbed in a way that was very similar to walking out of natural born killers, which I do remember walking out of that one and thinking what the fuck just happened? Like that was really, really bizarre, but man, was it good. And it was fun. And I agree with you. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a favorite in the sense that I like to rewatch it all the time because some movies you don't, some movies you have to give them a lot of time to breathe and sort of let them sit on the shelf for a while and appreciate them in that way. You know, the Marvel movies, you can watch one every week and never get tired of it because it's good popcorn and fluff, but you know, movies like seven and, uh, The Exorcist and movies like that, like you just, yeah, you kind of have to appreciate, you know, what they have to offer in that sense. And I, I think that's a really, really solid choice.
0: All right, sir. What do you got?
1: This is my number one. And you scared me there for a minute because when you said this is one of your favorite movies and it's from 1995, I thought for sure we lined up on this one because my number one is one of my favorite movies and it's from 1995, but it is not the movie seven. By the way, what else came out in 1995? Because shit, that must have been a great year. But this is a uh, director that you mentioned earlier, Michael Mann. And this is the movie Heat uh, starring, I mean, just, you know, take a, take a second here. Starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Tom Sizemore, Val Kilmer, Ashley Judd, Danny Trejo, John Voight, Dennis Haysbert, better known for his Allstate commercials or how you know him as Joe Boo from Major League, Natalie Portman, Hank Azaria, and Ted Levine, who we all very affectionately know as Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, this movie yeah. is just, it's its so good. It's fantastic. It's one of the, it's Pacino and De Niro's first movie together, and I'll use that in air quotes. Obviously, they were famously both in Godfather 2, but they, they obviously filmed separately because, Uh, Robert De Niro played Al Pacino's father in, in sort of a, you know, an earlier timeline in that movie. So obviously they weren't on set at the same time, but this is one of the first movies that I think it was the first movie that they were, that they ever shared screen time, but they didn't really share screen time, which is what's really interesting. And it used to be this sort of urban legend that they hated each other and they wouldn't work together, but they came together for this movie for whatever reason, because, it seems to be a very intentional choice on Michael Mann's part to not put them on screen at the same time, to really build anticipation. There's that very famous scene of the diner where they are talking to each other. They've confronted each other for the first time, Pacino being the cop and De Niro being the, the robber for lack of a better term. Right. And, and the scene is shot in a way that the cameras are both behind Pacino and De Niro in, in sort of their own, alternate POVs and it's it's such a good scene and it's great, but that's really the only time that they even kind of come close to being on the screen together. And it's just, I always kind of thought that they hated each other, you know, just because I sort of believed that hype and, and you know, but they've appeared together in movies before a couple of times since I think. But I think one, I mean, there are a million things that are really great about this movie. The thing that really stands out to me is, is the, the insanely realistic depiction of, of the bank shootout gone wrong, right? So they, they have this heist that, that goes bad and, and the cops are on their tail and they're firing these semi-automatic and fully automatic weapons in the streets. And one thing that I learned by doing a little research is that all these shootouts, they were filmed live, like the gunshots were not put in in post. They just mic'd the gunshots. And that's that's why they sound like they're powerful. You watch that movie and you know, there's something real about what's going on there. It doesn't feel produced. It feels very organic and very practical. And that's amazing. I thought it was also interesting that Keanu Reeves almost got the part that Val Kilmer had in that movie, but uh, Val Kilmer actually, he was filming Batman forever and he made time to, uh, to be in this movie while he was filming that one. So Keanu didn't get in it, but I honestly think that's a better choice because Val played this uh, the part of Chris, I believe, uh, very well. But top to bottom, this movie is really good. This movie, cinematically, is worth the the ten minutes that Pacino and De Niro sit in front of each other like that. If that were the entire movie, right there, it would win a million Oscars because it was just that good. And there's obviously a lot that goes on around that, you know, from Pacino being a cop and his home life suffering as a result of chasing Robert De Niro and sort of the same thing mirrored on the other side about how he can't settle down. He can't have a life. He has to always be ready to run if he sees the heat coming around the corner and all of that. And it's just, it's a fantastic movie. I love it. And it's another one that I watch every time it comes on and and can't get enough.
0: It's an outstanding pick. You know, when I think of kind of bank heist scenes, there are two that immediately jump to my mind every single time. The first one is the opening scene of the dark Knight, where the Joker goes in and, and, so and they kind of do that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the other one. I, I didn't realize the, the, the tidbit about that. They had just kind of recorded the gunshots, but in retrospect, like that, that makes sense, right? Because you're right. That scene feels different. It feels
1: it's real. Jarring. Right.
0: right yeah. It is. And that makes sense. Cause it was, you know, the, the, the dark night scene, there's not a whole lot of shooting in that scene. It's been a while since I've looked at the cast, but when you read the cast of that movie, obviously, you know, you know, De Niro and, and Pacino, but you, you can go on for another, seems like 30 seconds reading big, huge A-list names, one on top of another. Yeah, it's a, it's a great pick. It's been a long time since I've revisited that one too. But as, as I'm, as I'm going here tonight, I'm, I'm rebuilding a list of of flicks that I need to go back and rewatch. All right, so so my number one is actually a film that I thought might have been on your list. It is a 1989 film. It is by a director that I don't know anything else that this guy directed. It's Andrei Kochalovsky, some Russian dude. I, I don't know an, an, a, another single movie that he makes it stars, I, I suppose you could call it a buddy cop movie, but it's not a comedy by any stretch. It stars Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. It is Tango <laughs> and Cash. I,
1: I knew it. I knew it would end up on I, your list.
0: I love this movie. It is, it is action-packed. There are some comedic things in it, but it's not a comedy by any stretch, in my opinion. It's, it's comedic really because of Kurt Russell. Uh, and kind of the interplay between him and Sylvester Stallone. Jack Palance plays just an old school badass. Um, I believe it's the first feature film for Terry Hatcher, who plays Sylvester Stallone's sister. Also has music by, in my opinion, one of the greatest composers that is not named John Williams. It's Harold Faltemeyer. And he wrote the Top Gun anthem and he wrote Axel F., from Beverly Hills Cop, which was a, oh, and he also wrote the music for Fletch. Right. That's and, right. Good and, pull. Nice. Yeah. And again, th- th- this flick, I just, I love it. I'm not going to bother going into a, into a plot summary. Cause really the plot is, is pretty thin. Basically <laughs> two two cops get get framed for something that they didn't commit. No, they're not the A team, but then, you know, they're kind of two rival cops from, from alternate sides of town and they have to kind of team up. And uh, and and take down the big bad, which is Jack Palance. Just a huge fan. It's it's immensely quotable to this day. He thinks he's Rambo. Rambo is a pussy. You know, Pip and I will every once in a while text, you know, quotes from this back and forth. Just th- this is the if if Seven was one of those movies that I was hesitant to put on my list because it wasn't a quote fun favorite. This is the antithesis of that. This is a totally fun favorite movie, and I'm. I'm all on board putting it at my number one. I mean, how can you
1: argue with Tango and Cash? Like it it taught us the meaning of the word foobar.
0: foobar. <laughs> it,
1: it you know, it had so many great one-liners, but it's it's just a great buddy cop movie. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a great movie. I gotta be honest, it's probably a terrible movie, but it's it's a fun watch and it is Kurt Russell at his absolute best. I wanna say it's one of Sylvester Stallone's first attempts at comedy. I don't know if that's true. I'm trying to think because there was definitely a part where he, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, where he started to go a little bit more lightheaded, lightheaded, lighthearted, where, uh, you know, Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot. And, you know, that Uh, some of those movies didn't do so well. But the combination. Oh, Rhinestone. You know what? I can't hate on Rhinestone. I have got such a soft spot for. Me uh, too me too or yeah. uh Sylvester Stallone trying to sing country music with Dolly Parton I mean <laughs> that was an awful movie but my god I watched that movie so many times when I was a kid my mom loved that movie and it's it's endearing in that sense but so I guess maybe I think Rhinestone was before this if, if my, yeah, quite, uh, yeah
0: quite a few years yeah
1: yeah so so this is this is not his first attempt but I will say that It's great to see Stallone play off of Kurt Russell. Like I think Kurt Russell, like if you think of it in the sense of a wrestling match, right? This is this is Hulk Hogan versus Bret Hart, with uh, you know Stallone being Hulk Hogan and Kurt Russell being Bret Hart. The more tech, you know, he's the technician of the group. Like he's he's the one he's
0: carrying the match.
1: He's carrying the match. Kurt Russell is one hundred percent carrying this match, but it it just works. It works so well, and it's uh, it's super cheesy, but it's fun. I'm legitimately surprised that we didn't get a sequel just because I think that it, it, it was ripe for one. But, you know, it, it's obviously way too late at this point. But, yeah, I, I, lo- I love that movie. It was a lot of fun.
0: So it's funny. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it says in September 2019, Stallone revealed that he has a story written for a potential sequel. Of course the filmmaker he stated he is trying to convince Kurt Russell to sign on to the project, though he <laughs> anticipates the film will be made. So who knows?
1: <laughs> of course he does. Because if he came out and said, I've got a great idea for a story, but there's no way in hell Kurt Russell is going to want to do <laughs> right, it. Exactly, yeah. It wouldn't go over so well. I think Kurt right. Russell is just fine right now. Yes, I agree. If he comes um, out of it, well, he's not in retirement, but if Kurt Russell comes out and does any sequel... It better fucking not be Tango and Cash. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. You know what I'm talking about. We don't have to even mention it. I do. It it better not be that one.
0: I do. Um, All right. You have an honorable mention.
1: I do. I do have an honorable mention. And while I did say that Super Troopers was the only comedy on my list, I clearly meant that it was my only comedy in the top five because I did pick a comedy for my honorable mention. This one is from 1987 director Tony Scott. This is Beverly Hills Cop Dose. Yes. It is such a good movie. And I'm sorry. I, I feel like I need to apologize. Although I'm not sure if I should because the way this is going, I'm not sure Police Academy is going to end up on your list either. And that's strange. Nope. I'm more, I am more. I feel like that's a bigger black mark on your record than mine. But we, we can argue about that later. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2 is a fantastic movie. It's Eddie Murphy at the absolute top of his stardom i i think in my opinion Eddie murphy judge reinhold brigitte nielsen uh, ronnie cox who's who's been brought up as as uh, returns as lieutenant Bogamill, who gets gunned down while he's trying to solve the mystery of the alphabet crimes you know this is a measly budget of 27 million dollars pulled in 276 million dollars it was one of the most anticipated sequels i believe for that summer and yeah i'd say definitely at the height of you know eddie's stardom in a movie that you know if you watch now it really seems like a precursor in my opinion to a lot of the really great michael bay action movies that would come in the 90s right so bad boys and the rock i almost had, i almost put con air here until i realized con air was not a michael bay movie and i, I had to look at that like six times i'm like wait are you sure like and michael bay didn't do that movie because it just seems to fit so naturally and and all of those other ones but uh, but it's no surprise when you look at the details behind the scenes, right? Because Beverly Hills Cop 2, as was Bad Boys, as was The Rock, was produced by the iconic team of Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. So, I mean, it, it's no surprise that this, I mean, this feels like a Michael Bay movie. Maybe not as action heavy, but the way that they sort of balance the action and the comedy and, and the acting and all that stuff, I think it, it I think it reeks of of what's to come in the early nineties with Sean Connery and and Bruce Willis and, and all of that. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. And it is, I think it is the predecessor Beverly Hills Cop one certainly has some more of the iconic banana and the tailpipe kind of jokes, but this one is just really more well-rounded. It's better. It's more polished. I think the script is great. I think that the, actors all have a great chemistry that they've really warmed up to at this point. And it's very, very very rewatchable. And it does repeat some of the same beats as the first one as a lot of good comedic sequels do, but not in a way that is too obnoxious. So that's my honorable mention. Beverly Hills Cop 2.
0: It's a, it's a great pick. I create these lists. I I create a, a new Evernote for every one of our episodes And I just kind of start listing films off the top of my head. And then I kind of will down and Beverly Hills Cop was, was certainly on, on my original list, but I think you're right. I think in retrospect, I probably prefer the second one to the first one. The first one's great as well. First one's a little bit grittier. It's a little bit more quote real. Um, And I think you're right. The Beverly Hills Cop two kind of ups the action. And for me at least ups the enjoyment because of that.
1: It'd be interesting yeah. to do another podcast someday on comedic sequels that are better than their original, right? Like we've talked about doing a podcast on sequels that are better than, than their first movie. But, you know, when it comes to comedies, I'd say almost always the sequels are, are nowhere near as good as their originals because it's uh, by yeah, definition, most, yeah. when you start trying to repeat the same beats, it just gets a little bit predictable, which sort of takes all the gas out of it being a comedy. But in this case, I can't think of a lot of comedies
0: that were better sequels than their, uh, their predecessors. No you plus pr- one. Yeah, you're, pr- you're probably right. I, I might I, I might yeah, I, that, would, that you're right. That would be an interesting list. I, I, I'm wondering if I, if I enjoy some of those Police academy sequels better than the original. Maybe, but yeah, but you're one right. thing
1: you have to consider is the original police academy was the only one in the entire group rated R. And then the second one was PG-13. It's it's the same sort of, it was a very formulaic thing back in the 80s, right? Revenge of the Nerds, same way. The first one was rated R, second one PG-13. And then they all got PG from that point because they got so popular. So especially when you talk about comedies in the 80s, they all got watered down a little bit because once they became huge money-making properties, they had to
0: market it towards a larger audience. Now, that's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Um, all right. Well, so my my honorable mention is actually the newest of my entire list. Um, it is also the biggest box office of my entire list, which kind of bums me out a little bit. It is from two thousand and two, and I think this one, I think this one probably bumped up on my list just because of kind of where we are in time and how i see kind of our future going and there's a lot of pieces to this movie that i could totally see coming to fruition um this was directed by the one and only steven spielberg it is based on a philip k dick story the same name it's called the minority report
1: wow that's Um, an interesting one
0: this one this one stars tom cruise and colin farrell so I did mention the box office had a budget of 102 million. I'm guessing most of that was Tom Cruise money, but it came in at 358 million dollars. There's also a ton of CGI in here, a ton of digital work that they've done. Um, if you're not familiar with it, basically, it is about it's a it's a I don't know is it a dystopian future? It's certainly the future, but it tells the story of a of a way of policing where basically you get arrested based on what you are going to do. So there, there are these future seers that can tell you what you're going to do and you can be put in jail for something that you've never even thought of, but that these future seers see, Hey, you're going to do this. And I don't necessarily think that we're, we're headed in that direction, but like, if you watch some of this movie, there's a lot of tech that you could totally see as coming, you know, in the future in terms of the way they track you. And, you know, you're walking into a store and it says, you know, welcome Greg and welcome Pip and what, well, you know, this, that, and the other thing, just really interesting. This, this is one of those films that I, I, I have to admit, I don't come back to often, but every time I do, I really, really enjoy it. And it's one of those things that, especially as I get older and as we get closer in real time to where this movie is set, it shows me more kind of, and I and I pick out more and more every time I see it. I, I really enjoy it.
1: It's an interesting pick. I, I have to be honest, I think I may have only seen this movie once and I probably saw it in 2002 and haven't seen it in 20 years. I was a huge, huge, and, and still am, a very huge admirer of Steven Spielberg. I think everything, He Well, not everything, but I certainly think that up to this point, he had done more good than wrong for sure. But this movie didn't really leave a huge impression on me. And I think that might be unfair. I think I might need to go back and give it another shot. It's possible that I wasn't a big Tom Cruise fan at the time. Everybody has an opinion on Tom Cruise, like he's very polarizing as a, as a celebrity. But as an actor, I don't really feel like he's polarizing at all. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a really, really good actor. And he brings everything that he can to every movie that he does. It's just a matter of whether you can separate, you know, the, the celebrity of Tom Cruise from, you know, his craft. But it's one movie that I did see, I did watch, and I'm not entirely sure whether I liked it or not. I think it was okay, but it was a little bit too sci-fi for me, which is weird because I like sci-fi, but for whatever reason, it just didn't stick with me for some reason. But I definitely did not give it much of a chance. And I think being Spielberg, being Tom Cruise, Max von Sydow's in that, uh, there's there's some really good actors. I, I think I need to go back and revisit it because I I'm not sure. I remember very much about it and the idea of watching a movie that sort of inadvertently tells the future of where we're going to be, whether it's minority, minority report or idiocracy. I think, uh, I I think it it makes for a really fascinating uh, experience to sit through and
0: watch. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I would, I would be interested if you if you went back and rewatched it through older eyes, I I would imagine you might enjoy it more than you remember. I tell you what, one thing as we, as we kind of have gone through this list uh, again, I've got a gang of movies that were not, cop movies but were what was the effing. what was the
1: hardest movie on your list to not include or what was the hardest movie of, of the list that you made to not include on this list that we did tonight
0: oh so what was my number six
1: yeah basically so what, what was um, one that you just really struggled with because i'm still sh- shocked that you don't have a police academy one on well here just yeah, for...
0: so, so yeah so so i i have a yeah police academy is is one of those and actually i'll tell you what there. And then you asked me for one. There were three. Police Academy. I really, really struggled with Tombstone, not putting Tombstone on this list. And I really struggled with not putting Training Day on oh, this see, list.
1: That's super interesting. Tombstone never crossed my mind. But I would absolutely allow that on here because that's that's a yeah. cop movie. It's a it's an old western cop movie but that's a good yeah. one. Shit, I might have even put that on my, I might have bumped Beverly Hills Cop for that one to be honest. But Yeah, th-
0: th- those those were the it. Yeah, those were the three that that really, you know, again, Police Academy kind of it it launched I mean talk about a a, a franchise that yeah, they're silly and whatever, but goddamn those movies are funny. And mm-hmm. I mean to the to this day we talk about police academy movies regularly i'm still i'm kind of candidly i'm kind of shocked there hasn't been a police academy movie in so long i mean you just think that a lot of those actors the well the ones that are still alive they got to be looking for a paycheck Um, i don't know maybe it's one of those things that you know based on a, a previous episode that we did you know the original one probably couldn't be made today at least the way it was
1: sure
0: um it certainly wouldn't be nearly as funny that movie is full of misogyny jokes and sexist jokes and and just all sorts of you know really off-color humor there's no nerd rape though so there there is no nerd rape you're right that's true but there's a lot of peeping tom stuff and there's a lot you know all all sorts of stuff that very racially charged humor oh my god yeah (laughs)
1: um
0: and and well and homophobic stuff homophobia yeah i mean you know the the what is it the blue oyster bar right yeah blue is that what it is yeah i mean mm-hmm. that you know that that's kind of a running joke through the entire saga but yeah that 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 series you know and, and i was kind of bummed that i wasn't able to put things like lethal weapon and beverly hills cop and, and those kind of stuff on my list but there was you know other stuff bubbled up to the top how, how about you did you have did you have one or two that were kind of teetering on the on the edge there
1: uh, i would say training day did cross my mind yeah and i had thought about that but it has been a long time since i'd seen that movie and i certainly remember really liking it but not really feeling confident that i could even talk too much about it because it's, yeah. it's been a while but i think uh after i after i put this together i felt pretty good about most of it i actually don't think i i changed the order of my list but i don't think i actually changed what was on my list
0: well, sir, we uh, we made it to the end. Um, we we uh, we pushed it back by a uh, by a few days. Um, I'm glad that we got to do it here sooner rather than later. Um, it sounds like maybe I'm up next in terms of what we're going to talk about. I have no idea what that's going to be, but I've oh, got. Oh, a- come on! You got to
1: come up I- with something.
0: We have a uh, where is it? We've got a we've got a shared note here that we talk about po- kind of podcast topics. I mean, God, there's a, there's just a bunch of stuff on here. I, you know what? I, I just, I don't, I don't want to do it under duress. I, I want to, I want to take some time and, and really kind of give it some thought, but we will uh, rest assured. We'll come up with something here in the, in very short order.
1: Yeah. I, I certainly won't pressure you, but we could do that. We could do another deep dive. We haven't done that in a while. That takes a little bit more time, but man, that was really fun though. Super satisfying.
0: Well, you know what? It's, it's getting towards uh horror movie season. So maybe, uh, might Oh, be that's time right.
1: To- that's yeah. right. Halloween is coming. That, uh, yeah spooky holiday i wonder what uh, wonder what kind of uh, topics that i could bring about
0: might be time to do a deep dive on uh, on some on some horror movie stuff that uh I, ironically enough i just got in the mail the other day a um, a conjuring 3 blu-ray from one of our friends from scaretissue.com so i'm, uh, uh, I'm excited i'm excited to see that so all right well hey hey this has been the 411 from 406 my name is chewy i was joined once again by my brother from another mother mr pip thank you very much sir this was an outstanding conversation and we will see you soon good night good night guys